Welcome to Lucid Cafe. I'm your host, Wendy Halley. This episode is another one of those important episodes I'm so excited to share with you. My guest, Kimberly Pierce, has been a physician's assistant in the same rural, federally qualified health center since 1987. She's been committed to the importance of educating medical and lay communities about the impact of toxic stress on physical and mental health. And recently, she produced a documentary project on the ACE, or Adverse Childhood Experience, movement in Vermont. She's calling the documentary The Faces of ACEs. She's showing the film to audiences around Vermont with the goal of bringing awareness to the devastating effects of trauma and the healing that can happen once health and human service practitioners are trauma-informed. Kim shares how her exposure to the ACE research findings was a game-changer for her professionally and personally. Her passion for helping people with trauma, which is pretty much everyone, feel heard and cared for is potent. Every word that comes out of her is dripping with a sense of hope and urgency. If anyone can bring attention to this very important topic, it's Kim Pierce. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Kim. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to talk to you about this project that you've been working on. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to, before we talk about the project, maybe you can tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and how this project came to be. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about anything else, so it's nice somebody actually wants to listen. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So, my name's Kimberly Pierce, and I've been a physician assistant at the health center in Plainfield for the last, working on 33 years in wow. the same place, um, doing family practice. So, as a PA in a family practice, it's a rural clinic, you know, I mean, we do pretty much anything. You can walk in with a chainsaw wound, or we're dealing with diabetes, or cardiovascular disease or ear infections and it's everyone from little little babies to my oldest patient is close to 100 and I also really enjoy doing home visits that's still a thing yeah here in Vermont I guess huh yeah I I mean not all the providers that I work with do them just a couple of us do but I really like I like going into people's homes and and really seeing and understanding on a deeper level and also having just difficult conversations with people about end of life and wow so yeah. that's the kind of thing that just kind of keeps me going but I've you know like currently we have like I actually take care of a family right now that there's four generations so I do a home visit on the great grandmother I see the grandparents the parents and the grandchildren who are now babies and I've been taking care of them all (laughs) for a really long time 
And so it's, it's really um, quite an honor to have that kind of aerial view because I've been in the same place for so long and I remember what it was like when I started in 1987 and what it's like now is, is very different in a lot of ways. You mean how medicine is practiced or just? Just even the types of things that we're dealing with. And I've just, many of us feel like in a lot of ways things are getting worse and worse in terms of suicide and substance abuse and opiate addiction and depression. and So a lot of mental health related. Self-harming behaviors and yeah, as well as alcohol abuse and binge eating and smoking and so many things that I've uh, just felt so helpless to do anything about. Definitely, you know, I, I really care about a lot of these people because they're, we spend more time at work often than we do with our own families. And I feel like my patients become my family in a lot of ways. And I love that connection that I have with people. Um, that's, it makes it, it makes it way more fun. It's really cool to hear that, that still after all these years that you still feel that way, Mm. that you haven't entered into severe burnout. Yeah. I mean, I think many providers do, but because I don't know, I I think that we be at, as a health center in, in Plainfield, I mean, we, we have dental care, we have therapists, we have physical therapy, one-stop shopping. It, it's and it's really so we work together as teams and put our heads together and think about what's the best thing, and we all have different things that we like to do. So, if it's an orthopedic issue, you know, you go see Jane. Um, if it's other things, you go to. You, there's enough of the skills, so that we don't all have to be doing everything the same. It's very freeing, and I have a lot of independence. So, yeah, I don't, I don't feel burned out at all, even though I get tired and some days are tough. I, I've always loved my job. So that sounds like a, a nice introduction to this new area that you're exploring. So yeah. tell me about it. What is, what is it that you are so passionate about these days? So about five years ago, I was invited to a conference about something called ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. And I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. I just know that it sounded like it was something that I might like that might resonate with me, but I didn't really, you know, I'd know no expectations. And like many things in my life, when it's right, I felt like I'd been struck by lightning I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, it's really, it was like, oh my God, <laughs> um, I can't, this is something I'm, I'm this is going to change the rest of my life. And it has, because I knew at that moment that it, it was the missing link for so many of my patients that I didn't know what to do. That's and pretty huge. It was pretty huge. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, I just had a feeling that this was what I was sort of put on the earth to do, but I didn't even know what it is. You know, it was like, how do you take a study and how do you put that into, how do you take research findings and put it into action? How do you do that? So what is ACEs? Why don't you 
help us understand what that even is? So ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it was one of the biggest public health studies that's ever been done in the United States. There were over 17,000 participants out in California. It was a study that was done with conjunction with the Centers for Disease Control and Kaiser Permanente, which is a big healthcare organization. And they interviewed 17,000 adults. And they got a lot of information about all of those adults in terms of what was their their past, in terms of what was their dose of adversity as a child. And the information that came out of that study was absolutely groundbreaking in terms of showing not only how common trauma in childhood is, but how many, you know, how many people were involved and and how devastating it is as a predictor of your health. And we used to just think, okay, well, you know, if you have a lot of stress in childhood, then you're just going to do bad things. You know, you're going to like smoke and you're not going to take care of yourself. And there's a reason why, you know, like those people just don't, they don't take care of themselves and that's why they get the disease. Well, this research proves that in fact, there's direct physiologic changes in our bodies that happen with stress and the risk of asthma and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and rheumatologic issues and virtually every chronic disease is impacted by stress in childhood. Wow. So you're at this conference and they're revealing this data to you? Mm -hmm. That was the point of the conference? Mm -hmm. And you're just, your head's exploding? My head's exploding. And I just, I just assumed that everybody else was also exploding and many people were pretty moved, but it was it was particularly moving to see Dr. Folletti, who's one of the ACE authors, the you know of this major, like very well-known study, and he was the one who came. And one of the things that was so moving, not wasn't just the data, but it was his crying as he was speaking to us about how common it is and how the medical establishment has basically not believed him. Really? Yeah. And so, so he's trying to explain to the the medical establishment that there is a direct correlation right. between childhood trauma and chronic illness. Right. The data is so clear. And for the last 20 years, all we've been doing is replicating it and replicating it and replicating it, like to the point of it's just ridiculous. Huh. Instead of taking it, okay, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Great question. Well, they're doing a lot of things out West and those models were really successful and they're continuing to be successful. And two very, very smart women, Priscilla White, Kathy Hensey, and Brina Holmes, all working in the state, trying to figure out what can we do? What can we do? Learned about the ACE stuff and they were the ones who brought this concept to the state and they organized the, the conference and invited medical personnel 
and I was one of many people there, but I felt like I was just like literally lassoed. Like some somebody just pulled me up out of the sky and I had no choice but to continue to feel like I have to follow this. It was almost like this moral obligation. Like I just I I just had to had to do whatever was next and I didn't know what next. So was. that door was open for you and it's like I can't close it right. now that it's open. Yeah. In fact, I have to cross the threshold. Right. Huh. So, okay, you're at this conference and then what comes to mind is like, I imagine your, your mind is just going in a million different directions, thinking about all your patients over all these years. Mm-hmm. I just knew intuitively that this was the right thing to do, but it also just made sense that Vermont, I actually had this vision that Vermont was going to rock this. Hmm. And because we're so small and because there's so many people that are, you know, open to this concept and it's just a lot to it. So I just kind of imagined what could be and it all kind of came to me in a flash. But I had this <laughs> kind of, a, I guess it was vision, I don't know, uh, I had this idea of creating children's community resilience centers all over the place, all over Vermont, where it would be a community center that didn't have any other past, like not a yoga center, not a YMCA, not a place where other people have already come together, but it's a place where people come together in a way that's trauma-informed, which means essentially you're looking at people in a very non-judgmental way and in terms of accepting where they're at and just having a place where people can come do yoga or have a picnic or sing or, you know, have knitting classes or maybe some daycare or some play groups or some senior centers and just have a place where people can come together and feel like it's a sanctuary for everybody. So when you talk about this, you're referencing this, what is what is this? Is is it, is it like are you referencing other models? What are well, essentially, the antidote and the solution to childhood trauma is community. It's the only thing that will work. And so, figuring out a way to build community in a way that we haven't before, and I'm imagining community centers that could be connected by pedestrian paths to each other or bike paths, getting people outside, getting people to learn resilient skills, learning about the stress response, learning about how could they take this science into their own sphere, whether it's as an educator or a mental health worker or just your ba- a babysitter. How do we, how can we learn about this all together kind of at the same time? So we have a trauma-informed state. State. Gotcha. State. So, yeah, to me, figuring out a way to create a universal public health education campaign about ACEs. It sounds like a really key component is the connection piece, right? If you're right. talking about communities so that you don't mm-hmm. feel like you're alone. Right. Because I don't think, you know, you can go online and get your A score. Oh, really? There's like a self-assessment yeah. you can yeah, do? Yeah, but okay. I don't recommend it. Okay. Because 
there's nobody there to talk to you about it. Oh, it's yeah. not about knowing what your score is. It's getting feedback about it and acknowledgement and validation or whatever it is, you know, wherever you're at. Talking to somebody who's skilled at understanding what it means for you and helping you understand it. So I feel very strongly that people say, oh, when is your film going to be online? I say never, you know, never, because I, I think we need to learn about this together. Okay, so you mentioned a film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I knew that I was going to sort of take this concept. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I knew that I wanted to start screening my patients for ACEs. Um, but I was pretty much told that I can't and I shouldn't. Told um, by whom? Um. The medical establishment. Okay. Yeah. You know, saying, no, 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 you can't do that. It's not a standardized screen. It's not, you can't put it in the computer. It's, um, it's going to unleash too much emotion. It's too personal. You don't have time for this. We don't, the insurance won't cover it. There aren't enough therapists. Should I keep going on? Nope. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lots yeah. of reasons. Oh yeah. yeah. Lots of reasons. Yeah, yeah. No, you do not want to do that. You do not want to do that. So that made me want to do it even more. <laughs> Good for no, you. but I knew that that's where that's what it had to be. That's that's that was where I had to go. And if it wasn't for a PhD nurse practitioner student who was many one of the many many angels that keeps falling into place with this project, she needed a thesis for her PhD, and she said, "I want to help you." And she just kind of held my hand. She handed me these laminated screens. She sort of put me in a room and said, go to it. I had to train myself. I didn't know what to, I didn't know how I was going to do this. She, and she couldn't control what I was going to say once I was behind that door. Okay. She gave me the materials and the, and the confidence and really helped me say, yeah, you know what? You can do this. So and her study was to assess ACEs scores at well, your health center? Yeah, or? no, just to help a primary care organization start a screening program. And ACEs was the screening program right. that was chosen? Yes. Yep. Okay. So that was June of 2017. And when I started it, I knew it was going to be powerful, but I had no idea how incredibly profound it has been for me as a provider, I've never done anything this powerful. I've been, you know, kind of stumbling as I go sometimes, but I've learned everything that I need to know about this through my patients. So what did you start to discover? I started to discover that there is so much trauma in almost virtually everybody that I've spoken with. And I've now, I think I'm up to like 700 patients that I've interviewed. And I'm just fitting this into a regular office visit because I don't have any other time. And I have to do that right now. And I've figured out a system where I can still satisfy the insurance company because they're not supporting us on this. Right. Which is why many other providers are like, I can't do another screen. How could I possibly add anything else to my day? So I just, I, I felt like I didn't have any choice. I had to do this. So I figured out a way to make it work. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm helping to just, you know, remove some obstacles and smooth the path for other providers who want to 
do this, who are, who are so moved to do this. I feel very strongly that nobody should be forced to have these kinds of conversations unless they really want to, because if this isn't done well, I think it could be just worse than ever. Oh yeah. You're opening up someone and bringing all their vulnerabilities up. But if it's done right, what I'm seeing every single day is that it is like this missing link that helps people understand why they've been struggling. It's almost like you're just peeling off the layers of this onion until you get down to this juicy pulp and, and then people are able to kind of get that aerial view for themselves and, and understand how everything is all connected. And that's just from the assessment. They go through this assessment and you're, right. of course, supporting yeah. them through the process, right. but yeah. it's creating a new frame for them to see themselves through? Yes, because the biggest takeaway that I try to help people come away with, if there's one thing they come away with, it's understanding that if they did have a high score and they were, you know, they have a high score and they were dished a lot of crap as a kid, that it wasn't your fault. Ah, that's powerful. And by saying it over and over, like, whatever happened to you, there's nothing you can do to prevent it from happening as a child. But one of the things I learned, which kind of all ties in, Dr. Bezel Vanderkolk is a researcher, and he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. That's right. He's a trauma specialist. Yep. yep. And he, um, I've done many trainings with him. And one of the things that really stuck with me is he said that something that happens universally to children who have experienced a lot of, a lot of bad stress, if children are in a situation where they are living chronic stress, they are not able to get away from it. In order to make sense of it in our little child minds, what we do is we say, hmm, if I was just a better kid, then this wouldn't be happening to my mother. If I was just a better kid or I did better at homework or I did something better, then this, all of this bad stuff wouldn't be happening. Yeah, so this is very responsible. And and I guess developmentally, when kids are having this trauma, they feel hyper-responsible. Right. Their world is, it's it's about them and how they're impacting the world. And it's a lot less scary to think there's something wrong with you than to look at your parent as a monster. Very true. That's just way too hard. So most kids end up taking it on and just saying, huh, you know. I'm just a piece of you know what. Mm. And that's the thinking that gets carried into adulthood that is so not helpful. And if you can literally cut that shame and blame and explain there's, you know, physiologic reasons why you're a smoker or why you might be struggling with alcohol or whatever it is that people are struggling with and that it's you can't change what happened but you can change your response to it. So seeing that people do have an ability to choose, that's the most powerful thing. And they are. And that's the crazy thing is, I mean, I thought it would be helpful, but I I had no idea that it would be as helpful as it is. And there's now data from out West to show that if you do this, what I call a screening for ACEs and not just telling you what your score is, but giving you feedback, 
just taking a moment to check in and see what, what you need next and coming up with a plan. So the data out west shows that by just simply taking this, sometimes it's 10 minutes, you reduce hospitalizations, emergency room visits, and office visits for an entire year by as high as 30%. Wow. So people feel empowered and they feel like they are in a better place and they're not falling ill and they're not needing to go to the hospital. It's and it's it, it's just it's incredible. It's like, okay, well, why aren't we all doing this? Yeah. So this is just as a result of doing the screening and yes. walking somebody through the results. Yeah. And in response to that, they're changing their frame about themselves. And so right. they feel... Less ashamed. Less ashamed. Okay. They feel probably a little more empowered. Oh, totally empowered. So I've had... Uh, just a few weeks ago, I had this woman call the front desk and leave a message for me, which was just really appreciated, by the way, if you're listening. This is somebody who's been struggling with her weight for as long as she can remember. And I was, she came in for a sore throat or whatever it is, and I did her A screen, talked about how high that was and how it wasn't her fault. And she is now been exercising for like 150 days in a row and is losing weight and stopping binge eating. And even after just a week, a week later, after I'd screened her, she came back in for a follow-up. And I said, what, you know, how's it going? She said, well, what you said was just was so incredible for me. I, I found myself for the first time wanting to go get something new as like a dress or something and she went in and she went shopping and she tried on a piece of clothing and for the first time in her life she looked in the mirror and said you know what that's kind of cute I think I'm gonna get that amazing I've had other people stop doing opiates stop drinking stop binge eating start exercise go to counseling I mean you name it in response to the screening yes holy shit holy shit okay yeah so started talking about the film. Yeah. So I started doing these screenings and I was like blown away by what was happening and left and right. Like all these people that were just like, first of all, had never shared this stuff because nobody's ever asked before. And so I kind of imagine that the worst possible thing that can happen to people after they've experienced some trauma is to not be able to talk about it. Mm. And that's where our culture's at. You know, uh, luckily it's changing, but 50 years ago, if you were, you experienced a rape, nobody wanted to know about that. And it was all about feeling more shame because I mean, if it's so unspeakable, then how does that make you feel? You know, it's just, and, and the, this sort of, kind of victim mentality that, you know, even women get, uh, adult women who've been raped, who feel ashamed. Why is it we, why is it, and I can say this as a woman who has been forcibly raped, why did I bring that shame around that for so long? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Why is it I didn't talk about it? Because it's not what we do. But now with Me Too and now with people stepping up about abuse in the Catholic Church and all these other things that are happening and people are able to say it, I think we have a chance of preventing it, but we have to be able to speak about it. Mm. And the great thing about the ACE language 
is it gives us an objective way to talk. It gives us a language. Yeah. So people can come out of their screening and say, okay, I have an A score of eight. What's your A score? Do you know what your A score is? Okay, mine's a six. All right. Well, what does that mean? That means, whoa, just understanding that basic, basic framework. I'm wondering if part of what could be happening for folks is they've been carrying the trauma around with them for however many years, Mm -hmm. and they probably have a whole story around how terrible a person they are because of this thing that happened to them or these things that happened to them. And then they come into your office and you start asking them questions about their history and their trauma, and you're responding in a way that lets them know that they're not alone, that actually many people have experienced these things and it's not your fault. Right. And I I feel like part of it is just setting a, a space that feels very secure and safe. And people understand, I hope, that I'm asking this stuff not because I want to like, okay, well, I want to pry into their past. It's more like I if I know what your A score is, then it'll help me take better care of you. Right. It's an important it, factor. It's a piece in that's been missing. Picture. Yeah. Absolutely. But one thing I do want to say, because if there are going to people who, you know, they, they're just going to want to look and see what their A score is, because this is a 20-year-old instrument, it needs to be updated in terms of what is actually on it. Really? And what is not included, and we now have the evidence to know that these things should be on there is you know experiencing medical trauma as a child, you know being in the hospital for a long time, being a person of color just alone. Now we know is so that there's there's so much evidence to show that that alone causes a stress response. Being bullied as a child, LGBTQ, that whole section of population has been enduring unbelievable amounts of of stress by carrying that around. And so all of those things have to be taken into account. But the cool thing is, is if the screening's done well, people will tell me what's not on there. And then I acknowledge it. And then it's not like it's lost. Not you say, oh, sorry, no, that's not on the A score. Like, no, no, okay, yes, you're right. That should be on there. That is one of those things that is really important. And so then they're validated. So then they understand this. They have this basic template of this physiologic response that happens with this. And then understanding that they are probably been walking around in fight or flight in an exaggerated stress response their whole life. And they don't even realize Mm. why they haven't been able to learn, why they can't get along with people, why they can't hold a job, why, why are they doing drugs, why all of these things. And if they can understand then you can work on what the solutions are. That's making me think of the first time I got in the energy genesis Mm -hmm. machine. The experience I had was a complete absence of physical, emotional, and mental tension. Mm. And it pointed out how much I was carrying in my body and I had no idea. So my baseline of stress was high. I mean, I'm a pretty chill girl, but it was a lot higher than I thought. I thought it was until I had an absence of it. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. And the amount of energy it takes to live like that. So if you have a lot of stress and your baseline is really, really high, like you're just living with that all the time, how much energy it takes your body just 
exactly. physiologically exactly. To, to get through every yes. minute of every day. Right. It's unbelievable. Right. And this explains why things are getting worse and worse because if you take somebody who's had a lot of childhood adversity and then you put on top of that stressful situations in their current life, mm-hmm. it just quadruples. But what we know now about epigenetics, it's blown away the science of genetics over the last few years in terms of, you know, we used to think if you have a gene for a disease, that means you're going to get that disease. Well, the really cool thing, and this is, this is why I'm so charged up about this, isn't just like, okay, this is gloom and doom and, you know, everybody, oh my God, you know, all this chronic disease from adverse childhood experiences. The main, really most important point beyond it's common it's not your fault, is that healing can happen. But it starts with understanding where you're coming from and kind of just getting a grip with that. And if you, you mean like acknowledging it? Acknowledging and, it. Okay. And then yeah. accepting. Mm-hmm. So from an epigenetic standpoint, people may not know what that means. Are you're, you're referring to the impact of the environment on genetics? Yes. So if you, if you look at, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this, but I guess the easiest way is Dr. Anda, one of the principal authors of the ACE study, explained a study that helps explain intergenerational trauma. So in other words, trauma that's passed down from one generation to the next. And he explained this, this rat study that was done and they took a bunch of baby rats, unfortunately, and expose it to something bad. And at the same time that they were having whatever bad thing that was happening to them, they gave them all at the same time, the smell of a a cherry blossom. So you can imagine it doesn't take long for the The association, you know, to to know that the cherry blossom means bad news. right? Right. And so pretty soon it doesn't take long to just like a couple of bad experiences. You just simply give the cherry blossom and the whole pack goes into fight or flight. Yep. The nervous system responds. Yeah. This is biology 101. We've known this for many years. The incredible thing is that once you take those rats and you breed them, those rats that were exposed to the cherry blossom and bad crap happening to them and you breed them. And you take those little rat puppies and you, they have a beautiful little life, zero stress. They grow up, they're adults. They put them back together, all together, the little litter, and they expose them to the cherry blossom smell. They've never smelled it before. Okay. They all go into fight or flight and they have no idea why. They don't know why they're huddling together and why they're afraid. But that information was passed down through their parents' genes into their unconscious. And so the implications for this are beyond. uh, When you think about, you know, I guess I give my example of intergenerational trauma to kind of explain this. So everybody always wants to know like, oh, okay, Kim, she's, Kim Pierce is doing this big ACE thing. She must have like a really high ACE score, right? I don't actually. Um, no, I had a pretty good childhood. I'm really blessed. My parents loved me. It wasn't easy. My mom was 17 and they didn't have much money. So that's not on the A score, but you know, there were things that, but overall I had a pretty cush life. 
but I never understood why I had asthma and migraines and sleep problems and nightmares and anxiety and stage fright and like all this stuff, especially after I started learning about ACEs and I saw how many of my patients had experienced some really, really bad stuff. And they were so incredibly resilient and so courageous and they had so much grit that it it was just astounding to me. And then I would look at myself and go, oh my God, you had it so easy. What is your problem? Hmm. And then I realized that my father, when he was five or six, his situation at home was really bad. And his mother had to give up all of her kids. And he got put into foster care. And the way he got put into foster care was he was put on a train. This is in like the 40s, right? Put on a train in Massachusetts by himself as a five-year-old without any explanation. Seriously? Nobody was there to receive him. And he spent the night in the train station sleeping. And he remembers sleeping on a concrete. And then he entered into a horribly traumatic, horrible foster care situation for his entire life, right? So... Okay. Once I understood epigenetics and I realized that my father's stress was downloaded into my DNA and I, there was nothing I could have done about that. Mm. I talk about it as like a stain, like it stains. Yeah, it's imprinted. It's, and once I sort of stopped beating myself up for being such a wimp about all kinds of things, then I started to understand that I had been and an exaggerated stress response my whole life. And this was going to be the key to my own health. It's powerful. I can imagine that being really helpful for people listening to hear that their own gene expression is being influenced by, well, just our, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how far it can go back, how many generations. Well, can- that's the thing that's so kind of mind-boggling. So you just look at me and my father. Mm-hmm. But what if you back up that aerial view like seven, eight, ten generations and you look at people of color who are descendants of slaves? You look at Native American populations who've been decimated. Their entire culture was decimated. And why are we surprised that there's higher risks of disease in those populations? Why are we surprised that there's higher rates of addiction or whatever? And again, if there's a way to let people know that that stuff is not your fault and you can't change what happened to you in the past or in your own life, but you can change your response. And I believe, and I've seen over and over that people can heal no matter how old you are. I certainly believe that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I not just believe it. I it's experience it. Yeah. It's that's why I opened this wellness center, right? right. I mean, that's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> if people couldn't heal themselves, right. It is possible. It's possible and it's it, it can happen and it really I I mean, I feel like it all healing and and you think about the word disease. Dis ease. Right. When we're not at ease, if we're not at ease in our body, then we are diseased. Right. So how do we get back to being at ease in our body? And you take somebody who's had a lot of trauma and they're in fight or flight. You can't just tell them to go like, you know, have a couple breathing exercises and start meditating. No, (laughs) you know, there's, there's, we all have our, our, 
our ladder that we have to climb to get to the where we want to be. And people, some people are starting way down at the bottom, but they can make steady, fast progress if if you can start kind of looking at this stuff and you you know you're working with somebody who you feel comfortable with. Well, even if you make a slight improvement, right after feeling years of stuckness, mm-hmm. that's going to feel monumental right. and right. it's going to keep you motivated to to keep going. Totally. It's really amazing. I, I kind of imagine that a lot of this, because we, because I think our culture has suppressed this information because for many different reasons, you know, being ashamed of things that happen in our family that are not okay. It doesn't matter how much money you have. This is across the board. Mm-hmm. And the ACE study was actually done with a predominantly white upper class population with good health insurance. So we know that the numbers coming from that study were mind-blowing, but we, we that only scratches the surface of what this could be. And so that's where I'm at because I'm seeing people that are struggling with all kinds of really horrific chronic diseases and it's it's time to start paying attention to it. Damn, yes it is. So when you are working with your patients and they're aware of their ACE score. What do you usually recommend to that patient going from there? Well, that's the, I think that this is the reason why the medical establishment has been neglectful because there is no one right answer for everybody. And there are a lot of people that I see who've experienced incredible trauma and you know what? They're doing all right. They're resilient. They're, yeah. You know, they're resilient and usually. Those people have had at least one person in their life when they were children that loved them unconditionally and just took an interest in them. And if if somebody, if children are going through something horrific, but they see there's one person in their life that seems kind and competent and taking an interest in them, not because they're paid to, but because they want to, that's... Well, there's data to show that it can be incredibly successful in in helping people, kids realize that there is a light. There's another way. So just one person. That's all it would take. A mentor. If they have zero people in their lives, that's probably not good at all. Right. Well, clearly it wouldn't be good. No. So I guess there would be a one-size-fits-all remedy for each person, but do you have like some basic things that you... You tell folks? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it really, it, I don't, I feel like I don't tell anybody what to do. I try to draw it out of people. And if somebody's feeling like the stuff that, you know, the ACE, all the ACE information that we just kind of pulled up and they've got an ACE score and they feel like that stuff is still really heavy and their body right now as they're sitting there thinking about it, then we have a talk about, well, what do you think would be helpful for as a next step? Do you think maybe talking to a therapist would be good? Or do you want to, do you want to um, think about this for a little bit? Sometimes people just want to think about it and talk to their family and then come back and talk to me. I try to give them some written information about it. Think about where they're at in terms of how they feel. A lot of times we'll, if, if they just don't even know where to go, then I'll maybe teach some tapping. We'll do a couple of yoga postures, teach some breathing, try, try to learn that concept of that we can be 
more empowered to take charge of our own health by reducing that stress response and doing things that help us relax. And most everybody's really into it and and um, open to it, which at first, the first few times I was almost like, so it's so like out there. Right. They may be, are um, they going to be billing surprised? Blue Cross Blue Shield and we're like doing a warrior pose. Uh, <laughs> but it's, people need it. And the fact that I'm not a therapist, I'm just, a, I'm just a primary care person, that that helps demystify it and also make it just easier, more palatable somehow. Yeah. I imagine it would give them permission like, oh, if, well, if she's suggesting I should do this because you're in a position of authority, you've right. got to, I mean- you yes. can't get around that. Right. And if they uh, clearly they trust you, if right. you're if you're making this recommendation or suggestion then right, they're more apt to take right. you up on it. Exactly. And I think that that's been the problem is the ACE research has been out for 20 years and the educational system and the complementary world and much of the mental health system has been, you know, knowing about this and knowing the importance of it, but it really should have been the medical establishment that sort of took this on to begin with. And instead of saying, oh, that's for mental health or that's for DCF or that's for somebody else, what am I going to do about this in primary care? Well, huh, we could do a lot if we set our mind to it. And I'm thinking right now, the whole idea of what's coming to mind for me is the concept of indigenous mind. I don't, have you ever heard that? No. It's, I... it's a worldview, a cultural worldview. Mm-hmm held by indigenous people mm-hmm. where it's it's all about being in relationship with right the natural world your yes. environment yeah your community and of course yourself right as opposed to colonial mind right which is about manipulating and taking over controlling your environment yes and to me allopathic medicine really has a colonial mind approach right where it's like how are we going to attack Right. The symptoms mm-hmm. or the disease or whatever, mm-hmm. as opposed to being in relationship right. with. Yeah. And I think, well, and the, the really exciting thing, though, is that it's the epigenetic research down to the genome and, you know, looking at our DNA and having and having all of that incredible breakthrough science that we now know, which is helping understand what ACEs is. The, the cool thing is that it, it essentially allopathic medicine and all this research has been chopping us into all these tiny, tiny and smaller, smaller pieces, right? For the last 20, 30, 50 years. And by doing that, it's really allowed us a lot of information. We know a lot of stuff. We, you know, we've got better cancer research and all of that. It's incredible. But while we started doing that, chopping people into little pieces, we basically, we took away the mind-body connection and the connection between spiritual health and health. And so to me, this ACE research, it's the research, hands down, beautiful, well done research that shows the mind-body connection. But to me, it's also about not only the mind-body connection, but how are we connected to each other? Yes. And when my patients are suffering, I'm suffering too. If my patients are doing better and they're getting, you know, they're healing, I'm doing better. And you could look at that in a much bigger people in our community. When they're suffering, we are, it's pulling everybody down. So whether we're aware of it or not. Right. And that's what's really 
evident in what you're saying about how you're talking to your patients is that you're in relationship with them. Right. To me, that's the most important part of healing is the relationship part. Like the when connection. I'm doing, when I'm doing psychotherapy, right. it's about yeah. developing that connection with the person right. yeah. or a shamanic healing session or right. whatever it is that I'm doing with somebody. Mm-hmm. That that if That's where it starts. That's right. the foundation. And then you can't go right. anywhere. Right. Absolutely. After that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm blessed with so many incredible people that I, I'm, I've just got, you know, there's some really amazing people in central Vermont and I am blessed for many reasons, but working with my patients and I'm sure they would say the same about you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, if they were all here in this room right now, they would. <laughs> well, they're all going to be hopefully we love you, Kim yeah, at the, uh, seeing the film on, um, at Twinfield this coming Wednesday. Wow. All right. So we've referenced the film probably about five times now. So I know. please. <laughs> I know. What, okay. what is this film? Okay. Yeah. So once I started screening and I saw how incredibly powerful it was, I just kept saying, oh my God, somebody needs to make a film about this. This is amazing. And everyone's like, yeah, well, good luck with that. You know, good luck finding funding. And, you know, and I just kept, feeling like that was the thing I had to do and I I didn't know how it was going to happen and finally I just said all right you know what I just need to do this and I put it out the idea of finding a videographer to somebody who the very first person I said it to who suggested exactly who I should contact and I called him like that day and he called me back and he had never heard about this but he is Brad Salon is a he's a I don't know how to describe him he um he started Roots School um oh which yeah is I've about, heard of Roots School yeah but uh does a lot of environmental kind of um videography and and so it just seemed like a natural fit because to me healing is also about getting outside and putting down our technology and reconnecting with each other, but also with I'll the drink earth. to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we, we just kind of came up with this concept. I, I took out a loan in order to make it happen and we did it in about six weeks and it was, huh, a lot of people said, yeah, well, good luck finding people who are going to want to come talk to you about their childhood stuff you know and be filmed but everybody I asked if they would show up they showed up and they wanted to talk and the the things that continue to happen in in with this project is just I feel like this is it's just all happening the way it's supposed to happen but it's not about the film it's about it's about this topic and about hopefully unleashing, you know, some conversations and um, empowering people to know that there's another way. So what is the film about? Is it hard to describe? Or? <laughs> it is. So I decided to make the film after seeing a film called Resilience, which is a multi-million dollar amazing film by James Redford, who's a, an activist for all kinds of human justice. He did a film about the science of ACEs. He interviewed the original authors and 
w- did a lot of film shooting out in California with Nadine Burke Harris, who's been in the forefront of as a pioneer for ACEs in a, in the pediatric population. And when I saw that film, it was an urban setting in San Francisco, and I just thought, wow, what a great way to like get the point across creating a film like what a good idea and I just feel like it was awesome but it left me feeling like well what now okay I get the science but what now what are we supposed to do and so I just thought okay I guess I'll just make I'll make a film about the Vermont style what's gonna be happening in Vermont and what about those two women who decided that it was important to bring this concept to Vermont and how did that how did that start as a, you know, literally like a conception in their mind and how has it gone from there? So I wanted to document the movement that I believe is now happening in Vermont, which involves people coming together and talking about this stuff and wanting to learn more and want to create community as a result. So you talk to these women in the film and then you also talk to people who share their a score? Well, I have patients who were willing to be interviewed and talk about it. Not so much what happened to them, but how did they access their resilience? How, what helped them heal? So it's more like to see that they're, and they say everything that needs to be said. It was amazing. To me, it's not about what I'm saying. It's what, it's, it's, it's what they're saying. And I really, I did this film for them. Yeah. So you're not passionate about this at all, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And it's been hard. There's... Sometimes I just come back to my desk after I've heard some stories and I just... I just weep. It's... People should not have to live through what so many people have lived through. Yeah. And it's not fair. And um, I hope that through all this, people will see that there is light and we don't have to stay in the dark. Now, being on Earth is, is a tough gig. Yeah. Being human is a tough gig. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like you really, I mean, your film is driving that home. I haven't seen it, but it sounds like it from what I'm hearing. Oh, I can send I'm it hearing. to you through a Dropbox. It's not hard. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> no, I'd love to see it. Uh, it sounds amazing. And it's, it, I mean, what a powerful, to have your patients relay instead of a bunch of numbers and statistics right. to have yeah. their stories yeah. of how this has impacted them. I mean, I can't, that's, that's that's the best medicine. Totally. And they're the best spokespeople for right. this message. Exactly. Yeah. These are real people. Yeah. Um, see them every day. And because I'm pretty much predominantly doing all the screening, I'm, I'm the only one who's, you know, in my mind keeping track of, I mean, we can ch- track the data. We've got now a computer system. I can put it in and I can look at how many numbers as of today screened and what the results are. But I, I sort of keep mental track and I just take it in. And when people are 
kind of unloading it, I kind of imagine that it's almost like because of the repression, because our culture doesn't, has not been not only just not encouraging people to talk, but discouraging people from talking. Yeah, you know? unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, ugh, it's so toxic. But when people do, finally, it's like the, it's almost like this thing that's just been stuffed down and stuffed down and stuffed down and it's, it's nasty and it's dark and it's like stuck inside your body. And, and I tell people to imagine that they're just pulling it up balling it up because it's often sticky and black and throw it as far as you can away from you and people usually smile and they know exactly what I'm talking about and mm. and I think that visual and I keep coming back to that when I see people like so is it still coming up like you still got stuff that but a lot of times people feel like yeah you know I just threw that thing it's so out of my body now it feels so good I feel so much lighter very simple yeah. concept. Yeah. But it sounds like it's having a, yeah. a big impact. And all this stuff just kind of came to me. Nobody told me, to, you know, like all these imagery and all this kind of stuff. I feel like that's how it should be. Somebody I is, I'm, I'm not, I feel like with many creative endeavors, it's just like, it's not, it's something else that's driving me. I'm just, I'm just the vessel. Right. You know, it's I'm coming just, from some part of you. It seems like it's coming from something much bigger than me. Well, it could be a part of you that's just bigger than you. Yeah, that's true. What is your hope for this film? I hope that this film could be part of a universal public health education campaign. And I keep waiting for the policies to to come into place. You know, I've shown my film at the State House. I've shown it up at UVM. Everybody's like, whoa, this is awesome. We love this. But nobody's ready to say, well, what's the next step? You know, how are we going to put the money into this or whatever? So... I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is going to, into communities and showing the film to as many people as will want to listen and trying to facilitate a discussion about how can we go back into our lives and start implementing this. And sometimes it's simple as just like looking behind you and the person in line at Shaw's and realizing they're struggling and smile at them and, and know that maybe just say hi or extend a hand or whatever it is. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that we could do right now. Do you want everyone to see the film or do you want just policymakers to see it? I want everybody to see it. Yeah. So I'm thinking that after you see that, it can change the way you view things. Well, I feel like what it helps is like, I'm only one person and I'm only in one clinic. And so I can only see people one at a time. The film, I hope, you know, once I can finish it and I need to raise some money for that, I think once it's finished and it has all the information that it needs to in the beginning about what the science is, because I don't get into that. I don't try to replicate the resilience film. It's just, I kind of imagine that people would watch that for an hour, we'd have a quick break, then we get into my film, but it's just too much. It's too much to comprehend. So I have to figure out a way to, in five minutes, give people just enough information to kind of understand what the topic is and why I'm doing this and why Vermont is taking this on and why it's so important and why everybody deserves to understand it. One thing I wasn't prepared for, which is really incredible, is the people with the high scores and, you know, that all of that, I kind of figured that would be helpful. But the other cool thing is that when people take the score, I give the, I give the whole lowdown because I don't know who's had high score or not. So I want to make sure I really establish a safe space for people. And sometimes 
once people understand what the, 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 the whole background is and how many people are in, impacted and everything, they, they take the score and they have a zero, say. And then they kind of like get small. They're like, oh, I feel kind of guilty. You know, like my score was so little and there's so many people that are suffering. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The guilt doesn't do any good. Put that, put that energy into extending, maybe understanding better why people are struggling and, 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 and be the light for somebody. And so people often leave saying, wow, I never realized how lucky I was. So leaving with some more compassion than they walked in. Have you been exposed to the Brene Brown material? No, not really. Oh, she She's a social worker researcher who did a lot of work on shame and vulnerability. Mm. And it's more like the after effects. It's like you get your, your ACEs score and then you're dealing with, or, well, not necessarily, not the after effects. It's just the effects of living with this intense shame right and how petrified we are of being vulnerable right she's a really powerful speaker she has a netflix special that just came out i'm highly recommending mm. it to everybody well that's great i feel like there's definitely a level of awareness and momentum that's happening in our world right now with all the bad stuff that's going on and the corruption and the greed and everything i feel like there's also a beautiful thing happening that's people becoming more compassionate and more able to reach out to each other and and sort of stopping this like oh you know i you know all for one and one for all i don't need anybody you know i just i could do it if i just pull up my bootstraps i can be i i can do all this by myself well look what that's gotten look where we are right now right and clearly that's it's not the answer so I'm kind of hoping that I want to reach out to the religious right and say, you know what? I think this is something we can really all agree on. Reducing the stress of children. We're going to save money and we're going to improve outcomes and we're going to we're going to have a better world for everybody. No matter what religious background you're coming from, I think everybody pretty much agrees that that's where we want to be. You would hope that that is kind of a universal wish. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, how could it not be? Yeah. Well, I've, everything's so divided right now. Right. I mean, I, right. I would hope that, yeah, I, hard to know how people respond to things it's anymore. It's true. But people ask that word trauma-informed, what does that mean? And I have my own definition for that. And that just, to me, means using soft eyes when you're looking at somebody. I like that. Yeah. kind of makes sense, right? Like if you're looking at a little child playing on the floor with a puppy, that feeling that you have. It's universal. It's universal. doesn't matter what you believe. Right. Politically or religiously or whatever. And unfortunately, because of the benefits of Western medicine and, and the, the science that has chopped us into little pieces, it's also, I believe, prioritized using our frontal cortex, which is looking at people and labeling them. Oh, they're big, they're little, they're small, they're old, they're young, they're Republican. All of these things that we look at somebody in a, in, in a second or two, and we can size somebody up based on all of these compartments. That's a great point. And if we could stop doing that, instead of looking at somebody and having all these words, you could just look at somebody and think, hmm, Grandmother, mother, father, how are they related to yeah. me? No, we're all just human beings. Right. 
That's yeah. can't get beyond that part. Right. And we're all pretty much related. Yep. You know, if you really want to look at no, it. No, we are. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's uh there's no getting away from that. And but and yet that's what we've been trying to do. We've gotten very far away from that idea. That we're all connected. We're all we're all in it together. Right. And we're all going down together. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps if we all came together and lived if every single person lived up to their potential we could come up with some kick-ass solutions. Wouldn't that be dreamy? What is your film called? The Faces of Aces. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And it's not finished yet, though. Well, yeah, I'm realizing that I, I've i been going around the state and showing it, but because it, I never intended for it to stand on its own, it can't stand on its own, and I don't want people to not have all the information they need. So I've been feeling like I need to be there. I need to explain why I did it, what the science is. And it would be nice to be able to finish it, have it more of an intro about what it is, as well as at the end, I'm dreaming the next part of the end or the next film is going to be about what does wellness look like? And wellness looks like, in my mind, people outside and puppies in Vermont and skiing and uh, singing and (laughs) yoga and farmer's markets and pedestrian paths and community centers. That's what what healing looks like. That would be a cool follow-up to the film. Because I think that's where people are going to be left wondering right. is like, okay, now we so know now this. what's next. What do next? we do? Right, about right, it? exactly. The same question so, you were asking. Yep. So I'm getting ready to start a GoFundMe, and I need to raise about fifteen thousand dollars to get some experts in the field to be interviewed and to sort of tie it all back together, so that I could then hand it off to various organizations and say, go for it, use this as a as a training. And you don't have this GoFundMe page set up yet? Not yet. yet. No, I'm I'm so bad at this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm going to just sort of put a word out that I'm now officially looking for a team of people to kind of come together and maybe a couple people from the medical establishment, people from mental health, education, legal system, all of these systems, even law enforcement and corrections. Because imagine if we could take this thinking and then go back into our own disciplines, you know, whatever that is. And what would trauma-informed look like at corrections? I bet it would look a lot different, but I guarantee you're going to have better outcomes. Because if you're coming at people and looking at looking at the kid who's misbehaving in class and why can't he sit and stand in line? Well, guess what? He's in fight or flight. He, he can't sit still. He can't learn. But We've all looked at that situation and we just say, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just behave? But instead, understanding the the neuroscience and epigenetics and all of that, if you can look at that same situation once you really do understand this, and instead you say, hmm, I wonder what happened to that person. I wonder. There's a reason why this is happening for this person. Not what's wrong with you, but what Mm -hmm. happened to you. How about we start from there? That's the kind of thinking that could change the world. I'll drink to that too. (laughs) (laughs) I think the seeds have been sown and they're starting to blossom all over the place at the same time. And now I, I mean, I'm getting like lists, email lists for people at various, the different um, film showings that I've been at and people want to help. They're like, I, I want to help you. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what I need help with yet, but I'll let you know. And then I feel like I'm now at that point. So yeah. That's great. And this whole process, I'm curious if you feel like you've 
grown or evolved oh, in response yeah. to going to that conference originally. And oh my God, to it's the been such a personal, like beyond what I ever imagined. Um, because I was so, and I'm still like so obsessed with thinking about this and how to, it's like, I'm always looking for opportunities to figure out how to, what can I do next? And I, I've lost a lot of good friends along the way in the last couple of years. What do you mean? Because I won't shut up about it. And not everybody wants to keep talking about this all the time. And I also just had an intensity in the beginning. And I think part of it is just not feeling confident and feeling really scared about public speaking. And how am I going to get over that? And I just thought, oh, I'll just, I won't have to do public speaking if I make a film. Well, that's not how it worked out. <laughs> I still have to, I have to do both. So I've had to get over my own anxieties. and. And it's been, it's been a process for me. And I, I feel like I'm trying to just get rid of my own fears about so many different things and just know that this is the right thing. And I'm going to take it as far as I can for as long as I can until I die. I don't know how far it'll go, but I'm just going to keep trying like hell because it's helping people. And that's what I want to do. Wow. All right. That's the kind of passion that gets shit done. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I've, I've, I felt like it's, this has been a lonely time for me because yeah. nobody can go through this with you. You have to just do this. You just have to, you have to just. I could see that. Yeah. But now I feel like I'm starting to reemerge because I need to back off and just let things happen and allow things to happen instead of feeling like I have to control everything. It was fear that made me sort of overdo it in the beginning, but whatever. I don't have any regrets. <laughs> just, you know. Well, getting back to the beginning of our conversation, it sounds like all these synchronicities happened to get you to where you're at today. So there's yeah. no reason why that wouldn't continue right. to happen. If, if you're on this path and this path is the path you're supposed to be on, then it's about like trusting that, right. that the process will unfold the way it needs to. Right. Yeah. So that's another lesson I've had to learn is just, just having to trust and not be so impatient. I mean, it's only been just over a year since I finished it and it's, I, I've shown it probably close to a thousand people at this point. Wow. And it started with like in my cellar, you know, inviting my patients. And that sounds ominous. <laughs> Come to my cellar, right? <laughs> Watch a film in my cellar. Right. Well, uh, yeah. Um, hopefully it wasn't creepy. <laughs> it's not, it's certainly not a downer. It's, 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 I think most people have leave feeling pretty, I achieved my goal of having it be upbeat. I didn't want it to be. That sounds hopeful. It's very hopeful. Yeah. That's what we need. Big dose of hope. Right. And what can we do? Well, let's learn this. Let's, let's figure out because the solutions will come. My big thing is let's just get right to the heart of shit. Let's right. just deal with it. Exactly. Let's look right, right at it, right in the face, make friends with it. Right. And be authentic with it and not try to... Put it under the rug anymore. No, we're not going to arm not... wrestle with it. We're not going to. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a part of us. So right. how do right. you be in relationship with your trauma histories, right. but make it a relationship that is not, that the narrative is not this damaging message of powerlessness. Right. 
that yeah. instead it's it's a source of power. It's like I survived in right. spite of exactly. all of this trauma. Exactly. Oh my God. And so what is it about me? How did I do that? Right. And focusing on that rather yes. than on the deficits and the, the shame like you were talking right. about. And, and just having having self-compassion for ourselves, but also for other people. Yeah. That's some good medicine as well. Yeah. Well, here's hoping. And now if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, to ask you questions about your project or to maybe to help you in some way. Mm-hmm. What is the best way to get a hold of you? I just hate electronics. I have this thing about it. It is the way the world works. Now, I though. know. It's, we are it's, on a podcast. It, <laughs> it's true. Um, I mean, I have a, I have an email. And I can put your email in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. This thank was you for great. having me. It was really great. Really important information. <laughs> yeah, I thank hope, you. I hope the... Your project just takes off like crazy. It's, and I don't want this to be my project. Right now, this is my film. I hope that, that it can be our film and that we can figure out a way to. I've never create. had a film before. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Neither have I. So well, now you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is great. Thank you so much, Thank Kim. Thank you. Kim Pierce is a powerhouse. If you'd like to get in touch with Kim, you can email her at. Kimberly J. Pierce at gmail.com. That's Kimberly, K I M B E R L Y J Pierce, P as in pineapple, I E R C E at gmail.com. As I was listening to Kim talk about the ACE research findings and how trauma impacts the body and mind, I found myself wishing I could give everyone in the world sessions in the Energy Genesis, the healing chamber I have here at the Wellness Center. To give someone the opportunity to know what it's like to have a complete absence of stress even for a little while, that is the whole reason I opened up Lucid Path Wellness almost five years ago. If you're not familiar with the Energy Genesis, next season on Lucid Cafe, we'll be doing an episode on this amazing technology. So I'll be back in two weeks with the final episode of season one of Lucid Cafe. Until then, 